0: Welcome to The Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. This is it. It's happening. This episode has been a long time coming. I've promised it for a while now. It's happening. Get excited, get stoked, get pumped. We're going to talk ADHD. So even if you yourself don't have ADHD, you might have someone in your life who does. And when I t- posted about it a while back, there were quite a few of you who said, yeah, your spouse has it, your partner has it, your kid has it. So there's some sort of degree removed maybe from ADHD if you don't have it, but likely you experience someone who does. And anyways, even if not, it's good information to have because, I mean, I'm willing to bet that somebody in your life, whether a coworker, um... A friend, somebody has it, and it's helpful to know why they are the way they are, what makes them tick, and maybe how to interact with them optimally for continued success. So let's dig right into it. And as a disclaimer, I want to start by saying I know some have strong opinions on the overdiagnosing of behavioral disorders. I'm using, quote, unquote marks, quotation marks, error quotation marks. I know some people have very strong opinions on ADHD and how it's overdiagnosed, etc. And I know some say that real unrealistic expectations of kids, let's say, are to blame. And this leads to overdiagnosing. For example, they might say just because kids don't sit at a desk quietly all day at school doesn't mean there's something wrong with them or they need medication. I agree. I see validity and truth to this. And we won't get into education reform. That's a separate conversation. So suffice to say, while I do partly agree with that and partly agree with the notion we over medicate and try to fix everything with a pill, I do also say I am living proof ADHD is a thing. I view it not as a disorder per se, but as a classification of brain design and how you're wired. It's just how my brain works. And it's a way to describe it and to understand it. It's a reference point. And the ADHD diagnosis is simply a way to do that. Neurodivergent rather than neurotypical. So I would be neurodivergent. The PC politically correct way to put it, or just, I think, just the more accurate way to understand it. And I personally don't take medication. I did try it. I didn't like it. I only tried a couple different kinds So I know that that affects things and there are so many different kinds and dosages and all of that. So it didn't work for me when I tried it, not to say I won't in the future. I I doubt I will, but never say never, right? But I do believe in their efficacy and their value. So I will say that it's an individual basis kind of thing. And as part of the skepticism regarding ADHD, it might sound like some of those symptoms, some of the symptoms that we'll talk about and characteristics are universal of humans in general, And while sure, many or some of them may relate to you and you might not have ADHD, those who do have ADHD have these symptoms um, that are far more persistent and pronounced. So almost everyone has some symptoms similar to ADHD at some point in their lives. ADHD is diagnosed when symptoms are frequent and severe enough to cause ongoing problems in more than one area of your life and have happened throughout your life for at least a good chunk of your life. You may have had, let's say, low blood sugar, but that doesn't mean that you have diabetes, right? You may have fallen asleep while watching a movie, but you don't have narcolepsy. You might have been out of breath while exercising with that. Does not mean that you have asthma? So the full life experience of someone with ADHD can't be captured in a simple graphic meme or explanation. And also brain scans, we'll touch on those later, but like the SPECT scans, S P E C T that you can get at the Amen clinics, they show significant difference between neurotypical brains and neurodivergent brains. Like it's blindingly apparent. So like the activity in the prefrontal cortex is far different than that of someone who doesn't have ADHD. And if you follow Shaleen Johnson, love her. She has ADHD, her husband doesn't, so she's shown her husband's scan and her scan side by side, worlds apart, you guys, worlds apart. So let that be known. And let's talk ADHD. I'm a big fan of starting with definitions. So what is ADHD? ADHD is an abbreviation for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. It's a unique experience and a unique set of traits for each individual, so it doesn't manifest consistently or the same necessarily with everybody. ADHD is split up into three main presentations. So if you're hyperactive, impulsive type, number one, number two, inattentive type, number three, combined type. So inattention, and I'm going to gloss over them and then we'll get into detail after. So inattention, difficulty staying on tasks, sustaining focus, staying organized. And this isn't due to defiance or lack of comprehension. It's not that they're dumb or that they're being rebellious. No. Okay. Hyperactivity. They move about constantly, including in situations when it's not appropriate, like in the middle of class, maybe, though that can be appropriate. Let's say that they excessively fidget or tap or talk. Um, An adult's hyperactivity may mean extreme restlessness or talking too much. Okay, moving on to impulsivity. This may mean acting without thinking or having difficulty with self-control. This could also include a desire for immediate rewards or the inability to delay gratification may interrupt others or make important decisions without considering long-term consequences. Some of the common traits among all of these, poor concentration, disorganization, impulsivity, hyperactivity, mood instability, emotional dysregulation, and far more. There are quite a few and we'll get into those later. Like I said, many people may experience some inattention, unfocused motor activity and impulsivity, but for people with ADHD, these behaviors are more severe and frequent and they really do interfere with or reduce the quality of life and how they function socially, academically, professionally, etc. cetera, it makes a difference. Okay, so getting into the granular detail with inattention, number one, that's the first type. So people with symptoms of inattention may often overlook or miss details and make seemingly careless mistakes in schoolwork, at work, or during other activities. They may have difficulty sustaining attention during player tasks, such as conversations, lectures, or lengthy reading. They may not seem to listen when spoken to directly. They might find it hard to follow through on instructions or finish schoolwork, chores or duties in the workplace, or may start tasks but lose focus and get easily sidetracked. They might find it um, hard organizing tasks and activities, doing tasks in sequence, keeping materials and belongings in order, managing time, and meeting deadlines. They may avoid tasks that require sustained mental effort, such as homework, or for teens and older adults preparing reports, completing forms, or reviewing lengthy papers. May lose things necessary for tasks or activities such as school supplies, pencils, books, tools, wallets, keys, paperwork, eyeglasses, and cell phones. May be easily distracted by unrelated thoughts or stimuli. May be forgetful in daily activities such as chores, errands, returning calls, and keeping appointments, remembering people's names, stuff like that. Okay, moving on to number two, hyperactivity impulsivity. So people with symptoms of hyperactivity, impulsivity may often fidget and squirm while seated, leave their seats in situations when staying seated is expected, such as in the classroom or the office, run, dash around or climb at inappropriate times or in teens and adults, often feel restless, be unable to play or engage in hobbies quietly, be constantly in motion or on the go or act as if driven by a motor, talk excessively, answer questions before they are fully asked finish other people's sentences, or speak without waiting for a turn in a conversation, have difficulty waiting one's turn, interrupt or intrude on others, for example, in conversations, games, or activities. And then the third type is a combination of these. I personally have a combination of both. Heavy on the inattention, but definitely symptoms of the other two, of hyperactivity and impulsivity. Three lesser known symptoms of ADHD. So you have your interest-based nervous system. So motivated by the level of interest in something rather than the task's priority or importance causing inconsistent attention. So just because something is really important and needs to be done right now, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to spark us into action. Frustrating for us too. Um, let's say it's also activated by a sense of interest, passion, competition, sense of urgency, like a deadline which can lead to hyper-focusing and more likely to get things done when there is a strong emotional push. That's the key. The second lesser-known symptom of ADHD, emotional hyper So passionate thoughts, feelings, actions that are more intense than the average person I always noticed this in me before I was diagnosed. I was like, why am I so excited about salads? Why am I so... And when I would tell people, like, I would get so lit up and so pumped. I remember (laughs) I got my first cell phone in high school. And when I went to go activate it, they happened to have Core 104, the local radio station, publicizing that particular cell phone provider. And so they asked me if I would, like, give some thoughts or something. And I just went ham. And totally like went full salesman mode. Didn't mean to. I was just so pumped and hyped about getting a cell phone. And that's just me. Like when I'm excited about something, I'm excited about something full force. And everybody, like the radio show announcer, and everybody else, like the salespeople were just laughing and like, oh my gosh, that couldn't have been better than if we had paid you to say that stuff. That was like a an ad. That was awesome. And that's just that's just me. I just get so excited. And that is symptomatic of ADHD. So going back to it, okay, so passionate thoughts, feelings, actions are more intense than the average person. Unconsciously call on the emotional part of your brain to initiate tasks, that emotional element. You may experience higher highs and lower lows that quickly go based on environmental factors. And growing up, I really noticed this, like if something got me down, I was down and out. And then if something got me high, I was super high. I even wondered if I had like bipolar disorder. I don't. It's totally ADHD, but because I don't have like manic episodes and stuff like that. But really like high highs and low lows. And I really didn't understand why. And it's because of ADHD. And also like when I'd get in a fight with my sister or something, I could never understand how she could just, we could have our fight. And we had like a clothing store together, I could not understand how she could engage in a fight with me and then turn around and be totally composed because that was not me. Like I was still seething and still willing and still needing to come down from that I couldn't compartmentalize like I was still so consumed by whatever emotion so I've worked on that but still that's just very symptomatic of ADHD that emotional dysregulation Um, and you can appear more overly sensitive to things around you um, and have like mood swings and we'll get into the emotional dysregulation too, how to handle that some more of the explanation behind it so stay tuned for that Another, the third lesser known symptom of ADHD, and these aren't comprehensive, we'll talk about more symptoms, but just these are three lesser known symptoms of ADHD. So number three, reaction sensitivity, extreme emotional response to real or perceived rejection or judgment can be triggered by a perceived sense of failure, falling short of meeting your own or other's expectations or lack of approval. And again, nobody really likes to be rejected, right? I mean, that's fair to say that most people don't like to, but this is when it's a little more pervasive. This usually manifests as intense emotional and physical pain in the body, and it causes perpetual people-pleasing tendencies. Let's talk about the causes of ADHD. So scientists have not yet identified the specific causes of ADHD. There is evidence that genetics contribute to ADHD. For example, three out of four children with ADHD have a relative with the disorder. Pretty sure my dad has it. I think even my mom might have it too, Um, but my dad for sure. My sister for sure. Other factors that may contribute to the development of ADHD include being born prematurely, brain injury, and the mother smoking, using alcohol, or having extreme stress during pregnancy. And also, if you've read The Body Keeps the Score, really, really good book about trauma and handling trauma and the origins of trauma and treating it, how it shows up, all of that. That's definitely um, a contributing factor too if you've experienced trauma, whether big trauma, less acute trauma. I mean, just it depends on a variety of factors, but that is also something to be considered. And I have a psychiatrist friend going back to what I had said at the beginning about labeling this as a disorder and or seeing it as a disorder, something that needs to be fixed, something that needs to be like eliminated she and I agree that we don't see it as pathological or wrong per se. It's just a way to categorize how certain people's minds work and to understand it. And it's important to know other issues can mimic symptoms like anxiety, depression, sleep issues, etc. And these are a little different. We'll we'll touch on how they're different and differentiate a little bit, but we won't go fully in depth. So I encourage you to look fully into that on your own if you think you might have one or the other or both and or ask your doctor. I'm not a doctor, not a doctor, just speaking from personal experience. And dopamine does need to be mentioned because it's a big player in this. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter that instigates motivation. So like responding to bodily signals like hunger, thirst, stuff like that, um, fatigue, stuff like that, and or like taking action. And so it instigates motivation by turning into adrenaline. And this results in your taking action, a.k.a. movement. So it's generally said ADHers, ADHDers, have lower levels of dopamine, and this is down to an efficiency issue. Our brains have a higher concentration of dopamine transporters, which take dopamine away from brain cells, resulting in less time to work properly, as the transporters are moving too quickly. So if our dopamine systems work like this, it can affect our motivation and look like unable or slow to start tasks avoidance behaviors, giving up easily, changing interests frequently, struggle to finish tasks, and it can affect our movement and look like fidgeting, feeling compelled to keep moving or unable to move, seeking instant gratification. And gosh, think of how our current technology age can exacerbate this, like how social media and little dings and the constant notifications and all of that can affect this and exacerbate this and amplify it. And oh my gosh, yes, it's wild out there, you guys. Um, they can also affect us by um causing us to act impulsively or fo- focus on the wrong task. So my personal story, I was diagnosed, I think I was 25 years old, and so I was a straight A student growing up. Not saying that to brag, just setting the setting so you could understand what I was coming from and why I was so resistant to the first diagnosis and the second diagnosis. So those first two diagnoses, I just brushed off and dismissed. And I was like, there's no way. No, I had no problem in school. I had no problem. I wasn't hyperactive. I wasn't bouncing around by any means, especially later on. I started to get really tired. Like that was a big symptom for me and a big reason why I initially rejected that diagnosis because I'm like, no, I'm always tired. And come to find out that's actually a symptom of it. But anyways, I was like, there's no way I was just fine in school. School was upon further reflection. I see definitely how it showed up and how it did make school harder than it needed to. But I had a good memory at that time. My poor working memory didn't come until later. And like they say, you might be diagnosed later in life if you're academically inclined and or intelligent, because that's able to mask it. And so then that usually leads to a later diagnosis, because it's your intellect is able to compensate for it, basically. And so I Finally, I think it was the second diagnosis. Finally, the doctor was like, I knew the minute that I met you that you have ADHD. And sure enough, looking into it, I absolutely have it. And then so once I accepted his diagnosis, I dug into it and researched it and literally cried because I felt so relieved and seen and validated. And I thought, oh, those were just Whitney quirks. No, that's an ADHD brain. That's how it works. And I just felt so understood and even so, continually, still even today, especially this year, especially after the pandemic, which can cause some of these symptoms, and then even ADHD can exacerbate them, but I cannot understate the importance of understanding your brain. It's not that you're lazy. It's not that you're dumb. It's not that you're slow. It's just how your brain works, and understanding that is invaluable and helping helps you to leverage and work around it and adapt to it and have a successful, fulfilled life. So let's talk about some of my symptoms. Time blindness. I have a hard time with <laughs> tracking time, with understanding how long tasks take, like at work or at home. I'll tell you, yeah, I can get ready in five minutes. Yeah, I can get ready in 15 minutes. That's not how long it takes me to get ready. And still, like I just, I will try l force, especially at work. They'll be like, oh, how long do you think this task will take you? It's like my brain goes offline. And I cannot will it into thinking and estimating how long something will take me. It's like there's a complete blank spot there. And I just have no idea how long something will take me. It's, it's just wild. I, it's hard for me to, to track time. I'm constantly like, I don't understand how I have a set morning routine and I do the same things every day. Sometimes it takes me long, longer, sometimes it doesn't. And I don't understand how I can never just track what time it is. I'm constantly late. That's something I'm constantly working on. It's not that I disrespect people's times. And I try, try to get going earlier. I try all of these workarounds. And still, it's still something that I have difficulty with. And I try, 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 know this, I try. <laughs> but it's still something that just shows how my brain works. And so if you have somebody in your life who's constantly late, has ADHD, it's so annoying, I know, because I get annoyed when people are late, and I feel disrespected. So I try to remind myself, if somebody has ADHD, that's just symptomatic of it, and that's just the way their brain works. So doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and keep trying. We shouldn't be held accountable for lateness. We should, but just some understanding and some grace and compassion can go a long way. So timeliness, also part of that. It's hard for me to understand how much time has passed. I can get lost. Hyperfocus is a huge symptom of ADHD. So I can get lost down a rabbit hole and completely lose all track of time. And so that's part of it. Um, it's hard to make plans because of this. And it can be hard to to feel, well, memories can feel fresh. So painful memories can feel really, really fresh. And so that's a downside to it too. So in that same vein, like I said, hyper-focus. So you either are super focused or not focused at all. So reading can be really hard because I love, love, love to read. And I'm shocked that I still love reading as much as I do because especially as I get older, it's really hard to focus on the words because I can read them over and over and over and I really have to focus to focus, and it's a struggle sometimes, a lot of times, but then if I'm interested in something, there goes three hours, there goes five hours, and I am all in, and I will become an expert. I mean, this is great, especially like for my skin complexion issues that I've been working on. I can (laughs) cover a lot of ground and become an unofficial expert because I am so, especially emotionally motivated, emotionally motivated and hyper-focused, and you can just go deep. And so that's a highlight that you can cover a lot of ground and you can really absorb a lot of information, but also you can lose time and productivity and stuff like that. And so, I mean, high sides and low sides, right? Executive dysfunction. I always thought that there was something wrong with me and or I was lazy and I just didn't understand. But executive dysfunction and this involves your prefrontal cortex. So again, neurological bases to all of this. It's not just abstract theories. They've tracked it through neurological imaging. But executive dysfunction, I struggle with following through on actions, ideas, easy tasks. So as a creative, which is symptomatic of ADHD too, I have so many ideas. And I've talked to a lot of friends who can definitely relate. So many ideas, but the follow through is tricky and even easy, simple tasks, like some tasks and chores and stuff actually doing it it's like you know it needs to be done you know it needs to be done right now but to actually mobilize your limbs and your body and to just do it it's like it's so aggravating and frustrating because like why can't i make myself do it i know i need to do this but there's such a disconnect so weird like i will get you guys i will get packages stuff that i'm super excited about that i personally ordered and i will hold off on opening them sometimes for weeks sometimes for months. Sometimes I've been trying to get over that hump and actually just open them as soon as I get them um, to eliminate clutter and all of that. But it's it's the wildest thing. And I really have a hard time explaining it. Like it just part of it is you just are trying to avoid any complications or complexity. Like if something like assembly of like a toy that you got or something like that, um, because it just feels like sometimes things are harder than you expect them to be. So you just are trying to procrastinate on that. You don't want to deal with it. But it's, a lot of it is just that disconnect and that executive dysfunction. And it's just, uh, it's frustrating. It really is. So also just following through and you have ideas, but actually following through on them is that executive dysfunction that is symptomatic of ADHD. I pay better. Another symptom is I pay better attention when I'm moving. And they've explained why this is and activates you in certain parts of your brain. It keeps part of it sufficiently activated. So it's not free to get distracted you able to engage in listening and paying attention so for example when I was little I always noticed that I would go with my mom to her college classes and I would color and I was able to absorb so much I was a I'm able to absorb so much like at work or wherever, whatever I'm doing podcast whatever if I'm moving um if I'm doing house chores that helps um my mind still can wander and that's I'm constantly rewinding podcasts but if I'm engaged somewhat in like a mindless activity, like drawing or coloring, something that I really don't have to think about, then that helps significantly. Part of that also is moving. I pace when I talk on the phone and that was one of the first symptoms that I clued in on when I was researching it after I was first diagnosed, like, oh, that's a thing. And that's part of the same idea is it engages part of your brain so you're free to to listen and to concentrate on whatever is being said and like in workout classes and stuff especially if you're like standing and lifting and or even just when I'm lifting on my own I'm constantly moving I have to move because that's how I'm able to stay engaged so I mean there's a lot of activity though I'm still tired too so I mean it's just all over the place with some of these symptoms and there can be co-symptoms too because I also have sleep apnea and so you can also have there are other conditions that are very um, commonly associated with ADHD, like mood disorders, like anxiety, depression, stuff like that. So sometimes it's hard to tease out what is what. They kind of fuel each other. So sometimes that can be hard to treat and diagnose, but just understanding ADHD purely in and of itself here maybe will help clue you in onto what else could or could not be going on with you or with someone you know. Okay, hopefully this is making sense. I'm trying not to go off on a tangent like I typically do. And it's, feel like it's even more highlighted now that I'm thinking and talking about ADHD. So I'm trying to stay on task and focused. So hopefully it feels like that to you. So thank you for bearing with me and listening. Okay. Indecision. This is a huge one and some one I'm really ever more focusing on and really trying to work through. Indecision, paralysis by analysis, getting overwhelmed by too many options, so that's why I like when I do concept shoots, I usually have to poll the day of, poll and go or else I'll poll way too many options and then get overwhelmed. It's wonderful in this day and age on all these streaming services and platforms that we have the options that we do with the podcast and the TV shows and movies and stuff. Low key hate it though, because then I get so overwhelmed and I don't know what to choose. And then I just oh and then i just feel stuck and then i'll just spin out and spend hours literally hours trying to find something to watch to listen to um this happens when i get dressed i get oh it's it's so silly and i just want to kick myself like make a freaking choice why is this so hard just throw something on but i just get stunned and par- paralyzed by choices it's hard when i'm choosing skincare or a product or a shampoo i will spend hours researching days researching And then it's hard to pull the trigger and it's like, well, there could be something cheaper or something more effective or something this or something that and good enough isn't good enough and I just want the best and I've really tried to live by that good enough. I mean, sometimes you do need like the optimal option, but more often than not, good enough is good enough. And that's a muscle too. So the more decisions you make, the stronger that muscle gets. So I'm really trying to to focus on that and just make decisions and pivot if I need to and it's okay. But what's more important to me making the right decision is just making a decision in a timely manner just quickly so that's something I'm working on I get overwhelmed easily sensory stressors like loud noises bright lights conflicting conversations all of that can really irritate me and overwhelm me and then I just kind of shut down and really extreme temperatures too like I just shut down And then it just really can't work. So you might relate to that. While watching movies, I get distracted by, I get distracted by so many things other than the plot and the dialogue and what's going on. Like I'm focusing on, oh, he's a really good actor. What makes a really good actor? Like the psychology of the plot or the sets or the props and all of that, or like the actor itself or him or herself, or I'm just so thrown by a million other things and actually what is happening. And then by the time I zero back in on it, the plot has advanced five scenes and then I'm kind of lost and oh my gosh that's just this is just how my brain works so I really have to focus on focusing and really make a concerted effort to focus on what is being said and the advancement of the plot in real time as it's going through. Um, auditory processing issues so part of that is sometimes it's hard for me to to hear something and then to process that auditory processing makes sense, right? And I'm still figuring out what is my preferred method for receiving instruction. um, Because sometimes reading kind of is a disconnect for me. Um, Hearing it can be a disconnect. Moving is definitely how I learn something the best kinesthetic learning. But I mean, there's definitely some auditory processing issues there. So that's why I'm constantly rewinding um, on podcasts and stuff like that. Because there's some sort of disconnect there. Poor working memory. So when I was growing up, I had a scary good memory. It was eerie. It was awesome because life was just easy. Life is so much easier when you have a good memory, usually, unless you have the bad memories. But life was just so much easier at work. I mean, at school. And I just could remember everything. And the older I've gotten, the less able my working memory has been in my memory overall and so that's something that is a new challenge for me um your working memory so anything like especially recent or anything like like equate it to like a clipboard on your computer or whatever like you heard somebody's name, you were introduced to somebody and then learned their name and then immediately forgot it. So that's an example of poor working memory. So I would constantly get down on myself for not having a good working memory, especially as an adult, because that's really crucial to adulting, successful adulting, um, because I'm constantly forgetting to do like things around the house or other things. And so I'd really just get down on myself. Like, why can I not adult successfully? I just feel like such A loser adult. What is wrong with me? And that's just part of it. And so, understanding that that's just symptomatic of ADHD has helped me give myself grace. And that right there is just. And then, ironically, that actually helps me be better. And I just have to be more conscious and try to be more mindful and present in the moment, um, because you can work with it and you can live successfully with ADHD and overcome some of these symptoms and so it's just I mean there is hope in it but there are definitely some challenges with it okay moving on to sleep issues like I said I kind of touched on those earlier and I do have sleep apnea so that really contributes to the fatigue but energy low energy and sleep issues fatigue all of that are definitely symptomatic of ADHD and that's because like you're overwhelmed and that's very draining on your nervous system and your body in general and I remember the first medication that I tried for this it jolted me with so much energy and I felt on top of the world for exactly four hours. And then I crashed and that was the kiss of death and the river of no return. So after the crash, I was done for the rest of the day. So that's why that particular dosage of that particular medication didn't work for me. And I had two, like one to rev me up and then one to kind of help me keep, stay focused. So I didn't personally, like I said, find the right combination and or the right medication singularly or collectively. So I don't, currently take any medication but I do see the value in it but just know just because you're not running around all over the walls doesn't mean that you don't have ADHD or that anybody you know doesn't have ADHD but disorganized thoughts so it's challenging for me when I'm approaching writing a paper or a report it's hard for me to organizing my thoughts chronologically or in any other way it can be difficult for me because they're in my brain and I feel so scattered and then to organize them in a comprehensive way can be tough for me and this is whether I'm writing a paper or a report or just explaining something or reporting something verbally. It's tough for me and so that was definitely something that clued me in that I had ADHD. People with ADHD have an interest-based nervous system so they're motivated by the level of interest in something rather than the importance or priority of the task and this can cause inconsistent attention and this is something that I had mentioned earlier. And they're activated by a sense of interest, passion, competition, sense of urgency, like a deadline, which can lead to hyper-focusing and more likely to get things done when there is a strong emotional push. Creativity is a huge symptom um, or upside, I should say, of ADHD superpower. I'm very thankful for that. And the creativity that comes with the way my brain works, you get all these ideas and it's really, really cool, especially when you're in that flow. A surprising symptom that I recently learned is mono eating. So eating the same thing for days, weeks, months, years. And this is definitely something that I do and have always done. Like I had my popcorn kick that I was on for years and years and years, like 10, 15 years. And then salads, which has always been it. I've eaten specifically the same salad. I have a few different salads. My dessert salad, I call it. Um, spinach and honey and it's evolved a little bit and sweet potatoes and an apple. So I've had that every day, multiple times a day, and after like talk myself out of I now have two of those a day, but I mean, for a while that's all I wanted to eat, and I still crave it, you guys, daily. After oh my gosh, it's been <laughs> six years. I still strongly crave it daily and other things that I crave daily and that I just want to eat and I learned part of the ADHD brain, and I think part of it is because it helps with decision making and it eliminates choices that you have to make and decisions you have to make. But truly, I truly just crave it. And that's just part of it. And if it works for me, I mean, it's veggies that I crave. So that's great, right? I'm going to roll with it. Uh, Moving on, I talked about mood swings and strong emotions and you feel really deeply. So passionate thoughts, feelings and actions are more intense than the average person. And higher highs and lower lows that quickly go based on environmental factors struggle to self-soothe and downregulate. regulate um, And this is, it's hard to down-regulate a strong emotion to reduce its severity. And it's a struggle to refocus attention from emotionally provocative events. And so if you want to get into the neurology of it, the amygdala and limbic system generate emotions, but the prefrontal cortex regulates it. So when an emotion kicks in our executive functions will regulate it accordingly, right? And essentially, this prevents us from reacting disproportionately or inappropriately, like overreacting, basically. And ADHD is a quote-unquote disorder of executive functions. So people with ADHD are commonly misdiagnosed with mood disorders as a result. However, whereas mood disorders can last hours to weeks and are cross-situational and irrational, Emotional dysregulation is only of short duration and it's setting specific and it's easily identified. So, people with ADHD are often labeled as overthinkers, emotional, and too sensitive, but it is just simply a deficit in executive function that causes the dysregulation. However, like I said earlier, mood disorders can coexist and that can complicate diagnosis and treatment. People with ADHD commonly have addictions and addictive personalities, and though there are other contributing factors, absolutely. And one of the most prominent with ADHDers, ADHDers, yeah, is binge eating. And so this is an eating disorder that overlaps the most with ADHD. This is from di- emotional dysregulation, and this can make us more likely to use food to cope with emotions, self-soothe, feel like we can assert a sense of control, et cetera. And another symptom, mild OCD, um, obsessive-compulsive disorder. And I remember learning when I majored in psychology in college, is that you have like the full-fledged OCD and then you can have like a mild form of it and I definitely have a mild form of it. So obsession, intrusive and unwanted thoughts, images or uses that frequently occur causing distress, um, obsessions that don't align with your morals or values. This this was really relieving for me to hear like I'd get these intrusive thoughts. It's a great way to put it and that's what they're called. And then to understand this just just your brain at work it's not has not. it's not a reflection of you you didn't generate those thoughts it just they just are there so that's important to know and so if you've ever had any thoughts like oh like I wonder what it would feel like if I jumped off this bridge or whatever it's so weird because saying that sounds sounds another way like you're suicidal but it's not it's just like these they almost feel like curious thoughts because it's nothing that I would necessarily in a million years do but it's just like what if what if what if it's tricky and it can be very unsettling and unnerving if you experience them. And then with other OCD, like I would have to have like a certain number of reps. I still struggle with mild OCD. Certain number of reps with exercise, it can be really, really, really tricky. because I'll have to do a certain number of reps or or whatever. Um, Even if I'm tired, even even if I'm injured, even if whatever, it doesn't matter what's going on, but I'm so committed to that certain number of reps where you have to do certain things. When I was little, I used to have to say, when it turned seven o'clock, I'd have to say seven on the dot, on the dot, on the dot, seven times, like nutty. (laughs) I don't want to say nutty because I don't want to, that's disrespectful. Just little quirks like that that could happen that I'd outgrow and then I'd acquire a new one. And so little things like that, um, that can manifest, um, from mild OCD, but that's very co-symptomatic with ADHD. And compulsion, so repetitive mental or physical behaviors that aim to reduce the anxiety of obsessions. Um, And like I said, this often co-presents with ADHD. And fun fact, you can actually develop OCD at any time during your life, but you're most likely to develop it while you're young. With ADHD, sometimes it's tricky to get into the zone, the work zone, but once we do, we crush it. And Yes, we can have a hard time waiting in lines, being understimulated, etc. And in conversations, we're notorious for interrupting. I'm really trying to curb that. A lot of times, it's because I'm so excited and I'm trying to relate, and/or I don't want to forget what I'm going to say because I know I'm going to forget because that poor working memory and my mind is going a million miles an hour, and I misread pauses, and so then I'll start to say what I'm going to say, and I don't realize that they're not done talking. A lot going on. A lot going on up here. So again, thank you for listening to this. Hopefully, this helps you and. And or helps you understand someone else in your life. And that's just I mean, it's part of it. There's so much that goes on to this. And the majority of people with ADHD actually have internal hyperactive symptoms, not external. So just because you aren't weren't hyperactive disruptive in class doesn't mean you don't have ADHD. So as my doctor informed me, upon diagnosis, fatigue can be a classic symptom and overstimulation is an energy suck. So that makes sense, right? And girls, in particular those in elementary school, are missed and overlooked with ADHD diagnoses because they tend to be more motivated to meet social norm expectations, like people pleasing, and they work very hard to not be a problem. So they fly under the radar. And studies are finding ADHD symptoms, particularly for girls with inattentive type don't start showing symptoms or struggles until middle school where there's more pressure and stress to manage. And even then, what they re- what they present at school doesn't show all of their extra effort behind the scenes to be successful academically. And a lot of late diagnoses And there are some contradictions with ADHD, and let's talk about those. So, for example, you need time to verbally process everything, yet you have no patience when others do. I have a tough time keeping attention and focus when people beat around the bush and take a long time telling a story, making a point. But, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that I also do, and I can also be long-winded and go off on tangents. I hate structure. Another one. I hate structure, but I still need it to function. So, I do much better with routines, and I have two modes off and beast mode. So, with ADHD, I gotta get over that initial hump of inertia to be fully activated, but when I do, I'm good, and routine helps activate me. And another one, I either hyperfocus or don't focus at all. It's one or the other. <laughs> another one, I constantly crave stimulation, but get easily overstimulated. I hate being interrupted because i'll lose my thought but i often interrupt people because i'm so excited or trying to relate or misread a pause in the conversation like i said another one i hate external expectations but i thrive with accountability (laughs) so a lot of contradictions and here's another description some descriptions of the adhd mind so it's like having a browser open with 47 different tabs and you're bouncing around among all of them and then opening new ones too it's like a movie on fast forward that's also skipping It's like an old car radio searching for a station. It's like having to Google stuff you know just to remember them and how to explain them. It's like mapping out the most direct routes that you know you've already been there. But for me, like navigation can be tough for me after rely on instinct. If I get out of my head and rely on instinct, then I'm fine. But trying to calculate or navigate like the most direct route to somewhere is really tough for me. It's like my brain just shuts down. Okay, let's talk about ADHDers in conversation. (laughs) You might recognize these. Getting excited and talking over people. Starting at point M, going to point Z, going back to point D, so all over the place. Zoning out, stumbling over words, stuttering, mixing up words, definitely all of these for me, tangents, unrelated points, repeating a thought on loop until you can share it, taking things personally, impatience with slow paces, So that's not only for if you have ADHD, but also if you're an outsider observing ADHD. So let's say that you do have ADHD. Here are some signs your mind is overstimulated. You're unable to absorb any new information. You can't tolerate loud noises, bright lights, or other types of sensory stressors. You feel tired even when you've had enough sleep. Your daily simple, easy tasks like washing the dishes feel overwhelming things just feel heavy. Your to-do list seems unbearable even when you'd usually be able to manage it. No problem. You can't focus. You feel irritable. So those are signs that you are overstimulated. You just need a break and you need to give yourself some grace and some rest. And for those of you who did get diagnosed later in life, and I've talked to some of you here or some ways that you might feel, and it's totally normal and know that I felt these and I'm with you. So number one, you might feel your ADHD feels worse somehow. This can be because some traits are more noticeable after diagnosis, you're aware. Could be because they're more prominent the older you get. So age can factor into this though, and social media, and a hyper-stimulated world, etc. But also just things change the older you get. And like with my memory, things change. Another, like I said earlier, the more academically inclined or intelligent you are, the more successfully you'll be able to mask it earlier on in life. And then you can encounter serious challenges after. Um, Part of this is from not having the same structure, habits, routines, so that it can hit. ADHD can hit you maybe in middle school or high school or college or even after. Mine was after college. Um, And like I said, another contributing factor to this is once you leave the very structured environment of youth and school and people telling you what to do and where to do it and how to do it, and once you hit adulthood, that changes. And you're suddenly responsible for creating the structure, and this can reveal and worsen symptoms. So what's also normal, feeling confused about whether or not to share your diagnosis with family, friends, or work, you might even feel a little bit of shame or stigma. You might feel overwhelmed by all of the information out there. You might feel worried about trying medication and discouraged if it doesn't initially work. And You got to try different types and combinations and dosages and give six weeks for those to work and then try again. And is it the medication itself that's not working that specific type or is it the dosage or what? And then tweaking it and coordinating it with the other. If you're taking another dosage, I mean, or another, some, another medication that can feel overwhelming, but stick with it. If that's your proposed chosen path, give it a go, try it out, see if it helps. And I'll talk about this later at the end and some of the tips, um, getting a brain scan, a SPECT scan can really help. Like clue you and tell you exactly how your brain works, your individual specific brain, yours, like you, 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 your unique brain and or tell you what your brain needs. And there's different kinds of ADHD and some are actually do worse with medication. So it's important to get a customized treatment plan and a spec scan can do that. We'll talk about that later. Okay, so it's also normal to feel excited about the future and relieved. Because you feel like I I did, understood and valued and seen. And you can get some insight into your brain and how it works and why it does what it does. Just some of the different things that it does. And that helps. That has changed the game more than anything, I would say, is just understanding that there's a reason why I feel lethargic or unmotivated or whatever. There's a reason for that. And it's not a character flaw. And there's nothing wrong with me. It's just something that I have to work with, not against. I don't have to fight it and be ashamed of it. You might feel upset and angry you weren't diagnosed earlier. You might feel sad and mournful and ruminative about how differently things could have been. Like, oh, think of all the things I could have done. Think of how much easier it could have been. Think of how much more productive I could have been or accomplished. Mm. You might let yourself do that for a minute, but don't stay there, please. And you might not think things happen for a reason. People have different ideas about that. But one thing to think about is... This is a way that you could actually become stronger because of the adaptations you've made, the workarounds and the resilience, like people with dyslexia, like Dak Shepard is really famous about saying he's grateful for that because it's helped him to be the intelligent person he has today with the great memory that he has and the people skills and the street skills and all of that. In Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, he shows how these challenges can actually be superpowers and launch pads into greatness. They can be advantages believe it or not, just like with David and Goliath, what's initially perceived as a disadvantage could actually be an advantage and vice versa. So is actually David's size, his complacency and stuff like that, that actually, or no, Goliath's size, that actually led him to be bested by David. And he really digs into not only that, the David and Goliath story, but then also other real world examples. So let's talk about some of the upsides to the so-called downsides. So let's say that you constantly need stimulation, but then this leads to unique problem-solving skills and a lack of challenges. That's good, right? Say that you're a daydreamer and you're always daydreaming. This can help you be creative and cause a vivid imagination. Um, you You might be distractible. This means that you have many interests and you're curious and you notice details others miss. Say you're sensitive. This means you're empathetic and considerate. Say you're impulsive. This means that you can be spontaneous and adventurous. Maybe you're restless. and This means you can be innovative and generate new ideas. However, it is also important to not be toxically positive about ADHD and invalidate your feelings of overwhelm and struggle. Those are part of it and it can feel heavy and tough. It really can. That's natural. That's okay. And that's to be expected. And you're not alone. I'm with you i'm right there with you so let's talk about what to do if you have adhd how you can work with it um here are some motivators for those with adhd so let's start from this angle let's say actually this can help you motivate yourself but if you're trying to help motivate someone you know so social interaction teamwork and social reinforcement can help curiosity peak that curiosity physical activity can really get things going special interests and hyperfixations can draw people in Um, a sense of urgency. So institute a deadline. Creativity. Give them space to be creative. Give yourself space to be creative. Short-term rewards. Uh, Novelty and variation and challenge and competition. So those may be motivators for you if you have ADHD or for someone you know who has ADHD. And tips. Here is what has helped me with how I work with ADHD. Writing things down. This is vital. This is a must do, must do, must do, because usually I get so worried and concerned that I'm going to forget the thought, the idea that I just get really um, overwhelmed if I have all of these to do's floating around in my head and I just need to tether them to a to do list so that I just feel like I can organize myself and get myself settled and then spring into action. Otherwise, I'm just so unsettled and so focused, distracted by feeling unsettled that I really just spin out and lists. So I keep a list in my phone of ideas for podcast ideas and other ideas, um, Instagram posts ideas, just so many different ideas, business ideas, uh, photo shoot ideas, stuff like that, and different kinds of lists. But then also there is magic, true magic, in actually writing things down. So on your to-do list, so pen and paper, pencil and paper, actually forming those words. And physically writing it down is far more powerful than just using your phone. Plus, phones can easily distract you, right? And they've done studies and shown that it really does have a higher effect to actually write it down than just putting it in your phone. And there are even specific ADHD planners. And reach out to me if you want the links to some of those. I personally haven't tried. I almost pulled the trigger and tried one, but then I just ended up just getting a basic, simple, cheap one. But there are different kinds out there and they're specifically designed for the way that ADHD brains work. So something to look into. Learn more about ADHD and this can help you understand how your brain works. So you can give yourself grace and also learn how to grace and also learn how to work with it. And so you can stop beating yourself up and scare yourself for feeling unorganized or out of control or overwhelmed or distracted easily or forgetful, scattered, and attentive. all of that. And this can help lower your stress and then can help you operate even more effectively. Sleep. That helps. That helps a lot. You gotta get your sleep. Walking, another gentle exercise. And if tuning into your body and movement doesn't really help, maybe you need to connect with your intellect. So for some people, connecting with your intellect is an easier and safer way to regulate than connecting with the body. So there's the assumption that connecting with the body is the only healthy way and that connecting with the intellect is just another way to disassociate from the body. But... Let's look into that. So, when we're dysregulated and emotional dysregulation remember is a symptom of ADHD and our emotion our nervous system is in distress, the prefrontal cortex of the brain goes offline and it already has minimal activity often because of or affected activity also because of ADHD and the way that your brain is wired. So it's going offline, and this can actually increase the distress. And so if you find yourself reaching for a book or intellectual stimulation when you're feeling distressed, don't fight that. That could maybe be how you are regulating yourself. So educating yourself, stuff like that, that could actually be what you should be doing because that works for you. And there are different ways to get the same results, different strokes for different folks. That's a good life lesson, right? So some people need to tune into their body and focus on movement and all of that. But maybe you need to focus on your intellect and read and dig into that. So just know what works for you. Try different things. Experiment. I know this can be obnoxious to hear, but lower your stress if you can. Do what you can. Practice mindfulness. Maybe that'll help. That, I don't say maybe that'll help. That has been proven to help time and time again, though we constantly hear it. Often we dismiss it because it's so simple and surely something so simple can't be effective, right? But often the simple solutions are the best solutions and the more effective solutions. So if you're tired of hearing it, try it and then you'll see. (laughs) Yeah, just work with it, not against it. Just do what you can to, to know yourself, know what works for you. If you have time blindness, Use timers for daily tasks to get a feel for how long they take. This has helped me. If you have struggles with navigating, you can use GPS apps to help you calculate travel time and give yourself 15 extra minutes so you're on time and or early. What a concept. You can create specific time slots for each major component of your day, including when you should start, stop, arrive, leave, etc. And last but definitely not least, maybe most important, is getting a spec scan at the Amen Clinics and they have clinics nationwide, all over. So look up Amen Clinics, A-M-E-N Clinics. Dr. Amen is the one who created all of this. And it's just, I mean, it's a game changer. And I definitely have planned on it Um, with the pandemic that's kind of halted my plans for this, but I have renewed my resolve. I'm going to get it done. And I'm so excited to get it done because your brain is your best investment that it's your body, but also it just affects you, your life, how you feel how you operate, how you work, how you play, everything, your emotions, your relationships, all of that. And so your spec scan can show you, especially if you're developing symptoms of dementia or anything like that, you can halt that and pump the brakes on that. And if you've had concussions or anything like that, you can maybe offset some of the damage from that and undo some of the damage. And so what better thing to invest in than your brain, right? If you're a business owner, this can catapult your business and be a game changer. Chalene Johnson is a business boss. She is at the top of her game with businesses, multiple multi-million dollar businesses. And so she really has testified to just how how effective and how much she credits getting her spec scan and understanding her brain has been for just her, not only her health, but just her businesses in general and helps you be far more effective with far less work and effort. So thank you for listening. I am so standing in solidarity with you. If you have ADHD, if you know anybody who has ADHD, thank you for taking the time to listen to better understand them. Bless you. That's so cool of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and I love you.